Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new shortened week, shortened by the Labor Day holiday. I trust it was a good one for you, there, my friend. Oh yeah, how about yourself? Yeah, uh, took in a little college football. Up in Oxford, honestly, it got a little boring by about the second half. (laughs) But uh, always got to be pleased with a win. The state of Mississippi fared pretty well, except Jackson State had a little problem there. But there were some surprises, I would say. LSU, probably the biggest shocker at Florida State. You know, that's what always happens when you run your mouth, Coach Kelly. He had uh, had a little fun <laughs> before the game, pre-game. We're going down there to beat the heck out of them or something to that effect. That didn't happen. And then what about the Blue Devils of Duke? First time they have defeated their adjacent state rival, Clemson, uh, which is a pretty good program <laughs> last time I checked. First time since '04, I believe. Yeah, 04, 05, somewhere around there. Jeez. So some surprises. Don't know what to, to think about all that stuff right now. You know, it's hard to say. They're less surprising in week one, week two, because the pollsters really don't know what the heck they're talking about when it comes to preseason polling. You haven't seen squat. Yeah. You're just looking at numbers on paper. That's exactly right. So we'll wait and see where all that goes as we get into the heart of of the season. A big matchup this weekend features Alabama and the University of Texas. Could that be a precursor to future rivalries once Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC? Still can't get used to that. Weird, in my view. I mean, there are some people that still can't get used to the fact that South Carolina's in the SEC, and it's been there for the majority of my life. Yeah. Well, when I was in school, it wasn't. I do remember playing at South Carolina when I was in school before they were in the SEC. We were on the road, and uh, we would traditionally, when we had road games and they were in the afternoon, at the fraternity house there, we'd stick speakers in the 
<laughs> in the windows projecting out onto the front yard, and we play a little touch football. And I never forget listening to South Carolina and uh, and Ole Miss, and I want to say we were up by six or something like that, and time running out. South Carolina's driving, and a pass, a sideline, an out route was thrown, and our our DB jumped the route, missed it, pass was received, carried into the end zone for a touchdown, and the ensuing extra point uh, put the Gamecocks in the lead, and they kept it there, and they beat us. <laughs> All I remember was our old um, our old play-by-play guy, Stan Torgerson, who was really something. All he said was, boy, do I miss the pride of the South band today. <laughs> That's all he could say. He didn't know what else to say at that point. We we uh, we were a bit dejected. But such is college football. Just I don't know why that made me think of it when you said South Carolina, because that was before they were in the conference. It was a much smaller league at that point. It seems to be growing rather exponentially. Headed to the era of the Super League. Yeah, and you've seen it coming for a while. I don't think there's any surprise. We also need to share some very sad news. I suspect most people know about it already. Retired Mississippi Highway Patrol Sergeant Mike Griffin killed in an auto accident. He stopped to render aid to a motorist after that uh, a vehicle was involved in an accident. A, a bit of an unusual set of circumstances, but he lost his life. And uh, we happen to have Captain Chris Turnipseed on the program today, as we typically do after long weekends, just to get a report on the traffic situation across Mississippi. But we'll certainly get uh, the captain's thoughts on Trooper Griffin it's uh, really sad, and, you know, he was doing what he was called to do and what these troopers do as a regular part of their their duty, which is just helping people. I know a lot of people often think, well, they're just out there waiting to write tickets, and that's just not true. Trooper Griffin will be missed, and so his family are in our thoughts and prayers for sure. The governor also weighed in, and uh, so did Colonel Randy Ginn of the Mississippi Highway Patrol. The the governor said that Mike Griffin was family to Ely and me, and I'm devastated by the news of the tragic accident that took his life this morning. This was when the day occurred. But I'm not in the least bit surprised he was on the side of the road trying to help someone in need because that was just the kind of person he was all day and every day, a Marine, a state trooper, a servant of God, and just an all-around good dude. That's what Governor Tate Reeves said. Commissioner Sean Tindall said Mike Griffin was a dedicated public servant and law enforcement officer for many years. On top of that, he was a wonderful friend to me and many others. He will be deeply missed by all who knew him. Our thoughts and prayers go out to his family during these difficult times. 
Colonel Randy Ginn, Mike Griffin, was a lifetime public servant who gave his life doing what he was called to do, whether as a U.S. Marine, a Mississippi trooper, or a DPS officer. Mike didn't hesitate to stop to help those in need. Wow. It's just sad. Totally sad. And we uh, we recognize, certainly, his uh, his service and his dedication to the people of Mississippi one of the good guys. He will be sorely missed for sure. We've also got uh, Toby Barker, the mayor of Hattiesburg. He's coming up at 1035 today. He's going to talk about something we have discussed numerous times here on the program. That is PERS, the Public Employees Retirement System. If you've uh, tuned in, you certainly know that we have shared that the employer contribution rate Presently, it's 17.4% of wages is scheduled to increase to 22.4%. That, based on policy adopted by the board of the Public Employees Retirement System. What I'm a little confused about, Rhino, so I want to share with the audience, I'm in the process of writing an article about PERS. And I reached out to PERS for some some information that I would like to incorporate in the article that's not published on any of the documents that, that PERS provides. And it's not anything they're required to, just so you'll know. They're not hiding anything. It's, it's a little bit of information I think will be interesting and offer a bit of a different perspective uh, to the reader's of this article. And I want the folks to know that I I contacted PERS to obtain this information and uh, they couldn't have been more accommodating. Call me back Friday afternoon. The communications director even being off uh, like a lot of folks are in advance of the long Labor Day weekend call me Friday afternoon. And uh just just wanted to know that um, – to acknowledge first that I called and I was told – and I knew, you know, when I called uh, the support – the general support line, that's really geared for beneficiaries, active members of the system to help and answer questions. Not really geared for um, folks such as myself who don't really have a direct connection but are just looking for some information. But they were good enough to pass on my contact info to the communications director, who called me a couple hours later. And so uh, I have put in writing my request, the information, and sent that to the communications director, and I await that information. But we're going to get the perspective from uh, Toby Barker, the mayor of Hattiesburg, at 1035. Rhino, of course, bumping us out of this segment with Jimmy Buffett. May he rest in peace. That, uh, that, of course, a pirate looks at 40. Man, iconic Mississippian who honestly just made us laugh, made us happy with his music. Very entertaining. That's what entertainers should do. And he epitomized that. He will, as well, be sorely missed. We're stepping aside for a break here in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. Just a few friends. Just a few Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? 
is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays, and we're back with you. So, on the ceasefire text line, Mike was a good friend and classmate of mine, says Jim from Ripley. Great friend and just an all-around great guy. Yes, yeah, very sad. Uh, talking, of course, about uh, Highway Patrol Sergeant Mike Griffin. Killed in an auto accident when he was um, he's retired now. He just stopped to help somebody out. That's just so crazy. It's so sad. Uh, what else we got going on? Lots of other stuff across the uh, the country as well and around the world. Okay, what's up around the world? Well, many people might know the country of India by name, but that might not be its name by the end of the month. Why is that? They are having a parliamentary meeting, middle of the month, I want to say it's the 18th, and they will be voting to change the name of India to Bharat. Huh? Spelled B-H-A-R-A-T. What's that for? Uh, It's a movement that's been growing in the Indian subcontinent for years now, and uh, apparently the name is derived from the mythological original rulers of the subcontinent how about that that is bizarre i mean on the face of it i can kind of understand because the name india is not a name that they gave themselves it's a name that they've just accepted because the rest of the world called them that and (laughs) that name goes all the way back to the greeks the greeks named them india because of the indus valley i didn't know that the greeks okay so, all right, so there's a like a referendum or something yeah. like that? <laughs> okay. Well, that you're right. So the world's largest by population democracy could be changing his name. Jeez, that's pretty bizarre. No doubt about that. You hear about small countries changing their names, but yeah. rare to have a, a large country like India In change fact, their name. Some of those small ones, when they change their names, you can't keep up with it. Right. Like, who is that? Where, where did that come from? So that's a little bit bizarre, I would say. I also want to pass on that our good friend, Representative Fred Shanks, been on the program. He represents, of course, Rankin County, part of Rankin County in the Mississippi House of Representatives. He lost his father over the weekend as well. Yesterday morning, I believe, Doug Shanks. I knew Doug well, coach we call him. He was... um, he was the coach at Mississippi Valley State. I believe may be the first white coach in the SWAC, if I'm not mistaken. Coached there for 15 seasons. Guy knew the game of baseball, man. Unbelievable. And just a fantastic individual. He was a native of Jackson. Graduated from 
Provine High School over in West Jackson, where I grew up. And uh, we are so sad that he has passed. And again, our our thoughts and prayers go out to Representative Shanks and the family. He was just a good guy. He was on on uh, the program with uh, Mary Wheaton talking about uh, a book that he helped uh, write that discusses uh, South Jackson, West Jackson, which is where I grew up. And during that era, when Coach uh, was around that area and myself as well, it was just a great place to grow up. It really was. And just a lot of good salt-of-the-earth people came from that part of town and that part of Mississippi went on to accomplish great things. And Coach Doug Shanks is one of them, that is for sure. So just wanted to pass that along. So, you know, unfortunately, over the weekend, three notable individuals losing their lives. Coach Shanks, we just talked about, of course, um, Jimmy Buffett, a native son of the great state of Mississippi, and then trooper Mike Griffin. Jimmy Buffett, by the way, got to shamelessly plug this, was a member of my college fraternity. He was uh, one of our more prominent alumni. Went to the University of Southern Mississippi. There's a little... Jackson Area Alumni Association, and we got little sites on social media. And one of the individuals that uh, graduated from USM that attends our meetings on a regular basis said that his first job as a pledge was to clean Jimmy Buffett's apartment (laughs) at USM when Jimmy was in the fraternity. But, you know, like I said, he just made you laugh, made you smile, made you have fun, and I noted that even in Los Angeles, fans memorialized the 76-year-old singer, composer, author, entrepreneur. They went to the mayor of Margaritaville's eateries and raised their glasses in a toast. I think that's a propos. Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville at Universal City Walk in Los Angeles received lots of guests in the wake of the news. It was 11 o'clock there, but like the saying goes, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, right? (laughs) That was, uh, I believe, a song that Jimmy recorded with Alan Jackson duet, right? Isn't that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. He died peacefully Friday night. Paired heads across the world, mourning his loss. Just a good guy. And no surprise, such talent hails from the great state of Mississippi. It's incredible, isn't it not, when you think about how small our population is, but how many just great artists, authors, athletes we uh, produce in our great state. I hope a lot of people realize he's from the state of Mississippi, even those out in Los Angeles. hope they know that. Um, you know, the government's about to shut down again. This comes around every so often. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> and what I mean by that is 
the money train is running out again. A couple of trillion just doesn't hold you. It doesn't go as far as it used to, does it? Well, it goes to show just how serious the Congress is taking it, that they're going to have to jump on the ball and get to work on this after taking a month off. <laughs> exactly right. So they're, you're right. They have returned to Capitol Hill to deliberate this situation. And we're going to see some epic battles over government spending, Ukraine, border security, all this stuff will be front and center. So the Senate, under Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, he uh, said in a letter to his fellow Democrats that the top priority for the upper chamber is avoiding a shutdown Quote, our focus will be on funding the government and preventing House Republican extremists from forcing a government shutdown. You see, if you have any thoughts about just trying to slightly reduce spending, you're an extremist. That's how dead gum upside down it is. Something else I got to get off my chest here. I know a lot of people get upset about the money we're sending to... Ukraine, and I, and I get that. And you've seen probably out on the Internet, social media, why we send all this money to Ukraine and sort of pittance for our own in Maui, as an example, in, in the wake of the fires that just leveled Lahaina. And I, here's what I want to point out. It's not like, this is the sad thing, it's not like, geez, these lawmakers sit around and say, we got X dollars to spend, guys. Okay, this much to here, this much there, this much to Ukraine, this much to Maui. No, we don't do that. We don't go through that exercise. So my question is, why don't we just send more to Maui? Hell, just send everybody a million bucks. Like, it's, it's not like, well, we only got limited funds. That doesn't stand in the way. They don't operate the government the way... You operate your household. That's not even an issue. They don't think about, well, we only got this much. When they're getting together right now, guarantee you, and they're talking about what the spending package should look like to keep the government going beyond September, they're not thinking about how much they got to spend. That never even enters the discussion. They're thinking about how much they can get away with spending. Precisely. So... It's not like an either-or. That's my point. It's not like, well, we spent that money on Ukraine, so we don't have it to send to Lahaina, or we can't secure our border. That doesn't even enter the, the discussion. That's not even up for deliberation. We're coming right back with the mayor of Hattiesburg, Toby Barker. We're going to talk about PERS. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, I'm a title pool explorer from the day. 
of my misspent youth. Welcome back, everyone. We are live in the Element Well studio. It's middays. We welcome to the program now Mayor Toby Barker of Hattiesburg. Mayor, good morning, sir. Thanks for coming on. Hey, glad to be with you, Gerard. All right, so this uh, this situation with PERS is something we have certainly discussed on this program quite a bit. You and I have talked about it as well, I think, last at the Mississippi Municipal League conference down there on the Gulf Coast. And, and I could detect that uh, you had some concerns about the employer contribution rate increasing, and we're concerned about how to fund that, and, and this is, of course, something imposed on all public sector entities in the state which do participate in the public employee's retirement system. Essentially, it means that uh, as an employer, the city of Hattiesburg would have to bear this increase in expense that the board of PERS voted uh, to implement. But it appears that just about a week ago, right, they decided not to increase the entire five percentage points on July 1, 2024, but rather to phase it in, starting with just a two-point increase next year. Give us your overall thoughts about uh, the situation and how you're going to deal with it. Well, I think the, the it's important for folks to understand that there were, there were two votes taken. Uh, the board did choose to implement that 5% increase over a three-year period, which we appreciate. That's what's been talked about since the end of last session. The first of those increases, you know, right now employers pay 17.4%. Again, like you said, every, you know, every public entity, whether it's a state agency, a school district, a county, or a city, we pay 17.4%. The employee pays 975 And so, uh, July 1st of next year, that's 17.4. We'll go to 19.4. Uh, then the following July in 2025, that will go uh, to 21.4, and then it'll go up another percent uh, in July 1st of the next year. And so while I think it's it's important first to understand that though that's a 5% increase in terms of, of contribution rate, that, that constitutes a 28% increase in the retirement costs that we're having to pay. Right. Um, and for us, it's about a million and a half dollars. Now, we get three years to implement that, and we, we certainly appreciate the PERS board sensitivity to what we're going through. But I think what the greater issue is, and I think that, that your listeners and residents need to know about, is the PERS board at that same meeting voted to lower the assumed rate of return from 7.55% to 7%. And, look, we certainly appreciate and uh, the, the fact that we're going with a more conservative outlook in terms of investments. And that's what that vote basically said is we're not going to make as much on our investments long term. The problem that creates for cities, and the, the executive director of the PERS board said this, um, that when you lower the assumed rate of return to 7%, you're going to also have to further increase the employer contribution to probably 27% um, in the next five years. And so that that is the number that should really scare residents of cities and counties and school districts because uh, for us, that's $2.8 million. Now, Hattiesburg is a very thriving economy, and we have a lot of sales tax growth. And chances are we may could absorb most of that, though I don't know if we can get there in five years. But for other towns and cities and school districts, you're going to likely see a fundamental shifting of what it takes to fund benefits for PERS to the local level. Uh, that means that you're probably going to have to raise city taxes, county taxes, school district taxes. And so residents could be getting it three times based on the decision the PERS board made. And we think it's important 
And certainly we're budgeting for that first increase in our budget we're passing tonight. But we think it's important that we start having a real conversation with our legislators about what 27 percent looks like in terms of tax increases to local Mississippians. Yeah, so we we should also, uh, Mayor, point out that alternatively we could raise the employee contribution rate as well. That is something that the legislature is uh, authorized to do, but the PERS board is not. The way our system works in Mississippi, the PERS board handles the employer contribution rate, the legislature, the employee rate. Well, they could. Now, if, if you look into sort of the the actuarial design of how PERS is set up right now, I mean, you, you could make the argument that employees pay most of what it takes to actually administer their plan now. But, yes, you could. And we did that in 2010-2011 when I was in the legislature. Yep. We made that hard vote to go up because PERS needed it. Yep. I think that the message that we're seeing in the cities and counties is that this needs to be a shared sacrifice thing. And we need to finally have a realization, I think, that what the legislature did in 1999 by creating a 3% every year cost of living increase was a mistake and yep. it's unsustainable. And so when we talk about shared sacrifice, we believe that, yes, employers, we, we're going to participate. We have to. The employees need to participate. And I think we can also have a conversation about current retirees. No one wants to get rid of the 13th check, but maybe we don't need 3% cost of living increase going forward, at least not for a period of time until we kind of recover from where we are fiscally. And so I think that all things need to be on the table, um, and I think that the, the prime opportunity to do that for our legislature is this next session. Yeah, uh, compounded, by the way, not 3% on the base benefits, so we should point that out as well, which, which really is fair to say exceeds – the uh, the CPI it's not it's not tied to the CPI it's not really tied to inflation per se the way Social Security is the increases there the COLA adjustments are in fact triggered by uh, the increases in the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics CPI calculations in Mississippi it's just three percent no matter what um, even if we had deflation right. it's still three percent compounded uh, and and that does cause problems uh, no doubt so. In your role, uh, Mayor, I think you just uh, took on the role of being the the president chairman of the Mississippi Municipal League. Is that correct? That's right. All right. And what's the exact title? I apologize for not knowing that. Uh, head person to blame and charge. No, um, <laughs> it's actually actually it's president. Okay. Uh, okay. I just I just want to make sure we get that right. So my question is: Are you hearing from? Uh, in this role, are you hearing from leaders of other cities, municipalities? Absolutely. And, and we're hoping that this is a good opportunity for us to collaborate with counties and their boards of supervisors as well as school district and school board members. Um, every fall, the Mississippi Municipal League partners with our planning and development districts to do about 10 or 11 of these town hall meetings around the state. And we just wrapped up uh, last week. I was everywhere from Jumpertown down to the Gulf Coast, uh, meeting with cities of mayors who, once we start having these conversations and they start putting real dollars and cents to how much 27% could mean for them in the next five years and what that means in terms of millage they would have to raise to get there. And then they make the connection, oh, this is not just cities, this also applies to counties and school districts. I mean, the concerns are very much there. And, and I think we have lawmakers now and legislative leadership, whether it's Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman or whether it's incoming um, assumed speaker Jason White that realized that we've kicked this can down the road 
far enough, we have to make some decisions based on shared sacrifice. Again, everyone wants PERS to be there. Everyone wants the 13th check to be there. But we have to make a recognition at some point that maybe 3% compounded every year, regardless of what CPI is doing, is unsustainable. And so if we can um, have that conversation, if we can have that conversation with our PERS board uh, members, I think that we can come to some kind of uh, uh, real solution that, that's sustainable beyond just you know five or ten years. The state, as you're well aware, has experienced significant surpluses uh, over the last three years. Would you be in favor of the state perhaps allocating some of that surplus to municipalities to help uh, offset some of these increased costs coming from uh, the, the bump in the contribution rate? Well, if you ask a mayor if he's for more state money coming to cities, <laughs> uh, the answer is going to be yes. Yeah. Uh, but as someone who has sat in the Appropriations Committee chair, yeah. Yeah. Um, I also realize there are a lot of things pulling on our lawmakers. Now, I do think that one way to do that for cities would be to raise the sales tax diversion, which is something that I think has needed to happen for some time. That would help us. But it doesn't help counties. doesn't help school districts. Um, I think that you know, a couple of one-time infusions of cash will help, but I also know that our lawmakers have a lot of other people pulling on them. And so I would rather see us make the decisions on the systemic changes that need to be made to help us all get through this. I'm under no misconstrued notion that I'm, I'm going to be able to have the legislature cover, you know, my PERS increase over the next five years. Uh, I hope that maybe it's only a three three year increase, and I hope that we've maybe have some help with our sales tax diversion. But I really want to see us what what's our plan as a state to to make some sustainable decisions in terms of what we can really afford in terms of cost of living increases compounded every year. Yeah, totally agree. And just something before we go here, I wanted to point out if we got to this twenty seven percent rate that that you anticipate uh, on on the employer side, and then you you lap onto that. Uh, the employer's share of Social Security and Medicare, and then other benefits such as health insurance, you're looking at a burden rate of north of 40% of every payroll dollar. That's incredible. Uh, just from my business background, we typically planned on 18 to 20%. You're talking about double that yep. for a state or a public sector entity. And that's, that's a scary proposition. Mayor, appreciate you coming on and providing your perspective on this. We're going to stay on it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right. We are back on Super Talk Mississippi. another one. Thank you, Rhino. Smash Mouth lead singer, Steve Harwell, 56 years old. I'd have to say that 
the um, that genre of music, they did a pretty good job of popularizing it, right? Oh yeah, and that Southern California, not rockabilly, but it does have a little bit of swing to it. Yeah, and it was, it was again fun, good, discernible. Some of it isn't, and that's why I point that out. Very sad, man. Yeah, if you saw a movie in the mid to late nineties into the mid two thousands. You had a pretty good chance you were going to hear a song by Smash Mouth somewhere in the movie. Right. Totally agree. Um, Wow. So appreciate the mayor, uh, Toby Barker, coming on and and weighing in on this situation with PERS. PERS is something I've talked about quite a bit on the program. It's no secret that I have deep concerns about the viability of the state's public employees' retirement system. And there are three major, major, pardon me, major metrics that actuaries use just to assess the financial stability of defined benefit plans, which is what PERS is. That simply means that, that benefits are paid once one qualifies for them and until... Uh, the person passes away. And then in, even in that case, you could have some residual to beneficiaries, just depending on the plan, the option that one chooses upon retirement. But all three of those measurements are what actuaries call in red flag status, meaning they're not good. They're upside down. They they warn, they indicate that unless something's done, the, the program is at, is at risk. Not, not next year, but it is at risk of long-term sustainability. And so on the ceasefire tax line, we got some folks that uh, are concerned about that, that are in the PERS program. Let's see here. Uh, uh, this one don't have a name. It says, BS, leave current retirees alone. I think referring there to Mayor Barker's statements about the cost of living adjustment, the so-called 13th check, we worked under a contract. When we retired, we would get a certain amount. It's fraud to change existing retirees' benefits. Now, just to be clear, I didn't hear the mayor suggest changing the benefit model for any existing retirees. I didn't hear him say that. In fact, what I heard him say was that they need to be protected. It goes on to say, does this person on our text line, fraud, stand by your word. The word we took you at when we signed up 27 years as an underpaid police officer with the understanding PERS would honor my retirement contract. Like me telling my bank I will pay a certain amount on mortgage every month, but uh uh-oh, I need it lowered, BS, (laughs) Gerard. So nobody's suggesting that. I'm certainly not. I'm not suggesting that. But it's also, I think, uh, remiss to ignore the problem. It is a real financial economic problem. And unlike the federal government, the state of Mississippi can't print money. That was back to the the, um, 
arguments I was making in the prior segment before we had the mayor on that this whole idea of, well, we give money to Ukraine but not to Maui. Well, why? We got we don't worry about how much we have. We just print it, send it out there on helicopters. So there, there's nothing that says, uh-oh, we gave money to Ukraine, therefore we can't give it to, to Maui. We gave money to Ukraine, we can't shut the border down. That never is, in, is a decision that's ever made. So those are mutually exclusive issues. However, in the case of the state of Mississippi, vis-a-vis PERS, we don't have an unlimited supply of money. So the question is, how should we handle this? Now, someone else on the ceasefire text line, David in Oak Grove, says the PERS board it is, a, is an unelected board by the Mississippi voters and taxpayers. They can vote to raise taxes using a blank check to appease its members. Only the Mississippi legislature should be able to raise taxes. This madness needs to end. So to be clear, David, the PERS board's not raising taxes. It is authorized by the legislature in statute to manage the employer contribution rate. That's not taxes. The mayor simply said that, hey, we got to figure out a way to absorb this increase in the employer contribution rate, and that might necessitate the city raising taxes. It is authorized. It is elected our city leaders to do so. That's different. Now, I understand the connection of it, but it's not accurate to say that they're raising taxes. Coming right back with Captain Chris Turnipseed. And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We're live in the Element Well studio this day after Labor Day. We welcome to the program Captain Chris Turnipseed, Director of Public Affairs for the Mississippi Highway Patrol. Hey, Captain, thanks for joining us today, sir. Uh, thank you, Gerard. Great to be on on this beautiful Tuesday. Yes, sir. So let's let's first uh, talk about retired Mississippi Highway Patrol Sergeant Mike Griffin, tragically killed in a in a really strange auto accident. He was on the road there trying to help a motorist after they were involved in an accident. Tell us what you can about this. Well, just a very uh, unfortunate uh, accident, uh, Gerard. Uh, just one of those things, you know, uh, Mayor started Griffin retired from the highway patrol just a couple, just a couple of years ago, went to work for, uh, department of public safety, uh, and as a sworn officer and was just in transit, uh, and, uh, does something so many of us do, you know, uh, witnessed, well, didn't witness, but, but came up on a, uh, on a, on a car crash. Uh, pulled over and got out and wanted to go up and, 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 and assist. And uh, just as a result of getting out, you know, still under investigation, a lot of it, but something happened with, you know, the vehicle had gotten on him and uh, mm. lost his life just uh, trying to serve. It's just so tragic. And we just, 
hate that so much for for the uh for his family for the mhp family it's just it, it was very sad uh it's just you know retire from the mhp and then you know, to come back to work and for something like that to happen is just something we never want to think about but it, it, it's a possibility when you get out just trying to do the, the right thing and trying to help help folks and it can happen but uh Definitely, our thoughts and prayers are, are, are with him, his, his family, and the ages today as we grieve his loss. And I know they're making arrangements for his funeral services and all. And it's just a very tough time. But uh, I, I do appreciate you y'all mentioning that on your show today. Yes, sir. Um, and and Captain, we, we should point out that I think a lot of us think about highway patrol and law enforcement in general as just certainly when we're driving and on the road, we think about them. Stopping motorists and, and issuing tickets for uh, various traffic violations, but these these men and women spend a lot of their time just helping the motoring public, uh, such as the case with um, Sergeant Michael Griffin. It is. I mean, it's just one of those things. I mean, that that is, you know, enforcement, of course, is, you know, one of the main roles of the Highway Patrol, but, you know, when we're driving down the road and we see something, you know, we see a situation where, uh, you know, help is is needed, and we and we need to yield our assistance. I mean, that first and foremost, our our priority as public servants is to serve the public. Mm-hmm. And you know, what that looks like different things at times. You know, we're, we're just getting out somebody with a flat tire or somebody that's, that's out of gas, yeah. or you know, just being there for them and help them get get what they need. And I mean, those are what you would call, you know. A safe situation, you would think, but you know, life takes uh, some tragic twists and turns sometimes. Even when you're trying to do something that's relatively safe, a safer part of our duty. But you take risk, you know, every time you step out of that car on, on the side of that highway. So uh, hmm. definitely, that's one of the primary goals of the Highway Patrol is to, and, and DPS as well, is, is, is to serve the public, and that's what that looks like: is getting out and, and yielding a hand, you know, in whatever way we can at yes, times. Sir. And uh, we appreciate that. We want to, uh, again, pass on our condolences and our thoughts and prayers to the family of Sergeant Griffin. So let's talk about the uh, the busy travel weekend, Labor Day, one of those three-day weekends where we take off generally on Monday. An enforcement period was in effect. Give us a report. Yes. And it's, this, this is that final holiday of the summer. Uh, that we have, everybody kind of gets ready to say goodbye to the summer. And thank goodness, you know, a 90 degree day is considered a cold front around Mississippi here lately. So, but the, the temperatures were, were a lot milder this weekend. So, uh, people were out and about and traveling, going and doing. We had uh, we had football games and home games in Mississippi this weekend. So that, uh, of course, affected the travel. So we had a lot of people out and driving uh, this weekend. We Wrote about nine, little, little over nine thousand uh, citations. Hmm. Uh, we about one hundred and forty or one hundred forty-one exactly uh, drivers under the influence or were arrested. Had one hundred and forty-seven crashes uh, across the state. The big thing, though, that we looked at here is just the, the fatal crashes. Had four fatal crashes. Wow! Uh, this this weekend, and uh, which resulted in, in, in four deaths, which. Hmm. It don't matter what these other numbers look like and how many tickets you ride and how many DUIs uh, you lock up. I mean, it's just when you look at that four there, that's that's the number that 
the tail is the tail, and uh, that's four people that that won't be, won't be accounting for for the Thanksgiving holiday traffic. Yeah, it's, it's coming up next, and it's just it's tragic. You know, it, it's supposed to be a weekend we celebrate and take off work, and everybody has a good time. But you know, there, there's four families here that that are they're you know are not going to have didn't have a good Labor Day, so we 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 really hate that. But uh, that's that's the number that that tells it all to us. Uh, there, Gerard. Absolutely. So I, I'm a little surprised. How many DUIs uh, citations did you enter? Uh, issue, 100, 141. That is incredible. 141. And that's just the ones you know about that you caught that I guess were maybe doing something suspicious that uh, resulted in a trooper pulling them over. And then what happens then, uh, Captain? Do they, based on that suspicion, uh, render the test at that point? Yeah, sir. Just dependent. Well, I mean, you know, you've got you know, everybody's common, you know, everybody, when you first think of DUI, you think of uh, somebody drinking and driving, but that could go to include uh, using some kind of a, a drug, narcotic, sure. yeah. as well, driving high, mm-hmm. uh, that contributes to that. But those, yes, there are, when you, we observe somebody that we appear to be under the influence, you know, we, we take them and uh, observe them and have some t- tests we give them, and then all our officers are trained. We call field sobriety, mm-hmm. and they'll make a judgment on on what the result of that field sobriety is. Whether they should take them in and and and, bro- and uh, administer uh, the breathalyzer test, mm-hmm. uh, and also you know can administer uh, urine or blood. You know, depending on his drugs or something, it just depends. On, on what's on board there, that's offered, and then you kind of go through there of the legal system. You know, you arrest them and uh, charge them with, with that uh, offense. Uh, then it, you know they will go to j- go to the jail there and have to bond out, and then you know they're in the uh, they're in the justice court system and uh, will have their day in court, uh, prove guilty or not guilty or not guilty uh, mm. after that. As far mm. as that goes, that's standard. What, what that what that looks like. So, Captain, what, what's the law in Mississippi with respect to loss of your driving privileges, your driver's license, when you receive a DUI? How, what's the system say there? Well, it's different. Uh, it's different. 90 days just depends on what the offense days can be. 90 days up to a year, depending on what on what the uh, on what the on what charge is. First, second, okay, uh, offense. Uh, it just it just depends on what what your offense is on your your driver's license suspension. On, on what you have to, uh, on when, how, how long you surrender uh, your driver's license, but you can lose your driver's privilege, uh, and you'll have to take some classes and get that um, uh, that MASAP insurance to get you know get get it back after a DUI. So it can it turns out to be costly, you know, mm-hmm. depending on what county you're in, what the fines are, what the what the court assessments are. There's different charges and fines for uh, you know pretty all around around the same, uh, but. The hmm. different costs and fines for it, and then you got legal fees, lawyer fees uh, that that you have to pay too. So it's not a it's not a you know something you want to do that you know that's yeah. affordable. Uh, but <laughs> but definitely you know you turn around, you look at, it and you get involved in a crash, and someone gets killed, or uh, you hurt somebody for life, you know, cause a lifelong injury. You know, those charges can will, will be ramped up uh, for that. And you, yeah. End up serving some serious prison time for that. It's just, it's just not worth the risk when there's so many ways now with, you know, cell phones to be able to call somebody. You know, if if you don't think you need to drive, or there's Uber, or there's just different 
different alternatives to driving and, and, and driving under the influence uh, that, you know, there's too many options out there to get home safely if you've been celebrating a little bit too much. Hmm. Uh, before we go here, what about the seat belts? How do we do there? <laughs> your favorite your favorite <laughs> category. That's why I saved that for last. Uh, we were about two citations under 700, 698 <laughs> oh, this year. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't. I can't comprehend it. Uh, we keep talking yeah. about it. Uh, we certainly don't want people behind the wheel if they're under the influence uh, of drugs or alcohol, for sure, because that's uh, how bad things usually happen. Captain, appreciate uh, you coming in on the program today, and once again, our condolences to the family of uh, Sergeant Michael Griffin. Really appreciate well, you coming you. on. Yes, sir. Thank you, Gerard, for uh, letting us get on and talk about Labor Day, and then, but, but thank you most of all for. Uh, to recognize Master Sergeant Griffin and his service and what he did. And uh, we, we appreciate all the prayers there. Yes, sir. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Rhino keeping us entertained with a plethora of Jimmy Buffett tunes. Appreciate that, Rhino. For parrot heads everywhere across the great state of Mississippi. We're back again in the Element Well studio. We do have some tickets to give away, right? I think we do later on in the program. Is that right? Yeah, we do. We have got train coming to the Brandon Amphitheater. And we got some tickets to give away for that. At some point. Yeah. Uh, And they're coming on September the 7th. So Right around the corner. Yeah, a couple of days. Okay, so we were talking about uh, PERS. And this is a a, uh, rather hot topic. Certainly... I've tried to elevate the discussion at a minimum, just stimulate the discussion about this because, as we do on Social Security and Medicare, because it's not something most of uh, the elected officials or candidates want to address. It's not a fun topic. Let's just put it that way. And I'm not aware that there was a candidate for House, Senate, or statewide office in the state of Mississippi that included in any of their campaign materials any mention of PERS. Are, are you aware of any, Rhino? Can you think of any? It's kind of like election kryptonite. It certainly is. But I don't remember seeing any any ads on no. air or any of the printed materials, the brochures. Don't remember hearing any mention of it in the speeches at the Neshoba County Fair. I think most would tell you that, yeah, this is something we need to take a hard look at. It needs to be addressed. And that's fair. Uh, I certainly wouldn't expect anybody to say, yeah, this is the solution and what I support doing. I do think it requires uh, a great deal of of, uh, collaboration on the part of experts, lawmakers, actuaries, 
PERS folks, administrators, the president or CEO of the PERS program, I mean, and then representatives from both the active and the retiree community as well. A question from Adam and Baldwin is, do any of the lottery sales go into PERS? Would that be an option? They do not. The Alice G. Clark Lottery Act passed in special session by the legislature, signed by Governor Phil Bryant in August of 2018, stipulates that the first $80 million of net proceeds, essentially it's net profit, produced by the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, which is an instrumentality of the state, not a state agency. But the Lottery Act states that the first $80 million of net proceeds goes to the state highway fund, and the excess goes to the education enhancement fund. No dollars go to the general fund. No dollars go to um, any other agency. And uh, we should also point out that the employees of the Mississippi Lottery Corporation do not participate in PERS because they are not public sector employees. The corporation actually operates way more as a private sector entity than it does the typical public sector agency or entity. But that being said, sure, um, Adam, the legislature could pass law to amend the present funding transfer of net lottery proceeds, yeah, they could say, hey, we want the money to go to PERS as opposed to roads and bridges or the Education Enhancement Fund, which is the present situation. By the way, the Education Enhancement Fund is different than the general fund allocation to education in that it is a fund established by law, by statute, and it's got a series of formulas in it that prescribes exactly how monies allocated to the EEF, the Education Enhancement Fund, are then transferred into uh, various education purposes. A lot of that goes to the Early Learning Collaborative, uh, goes to fixed assets, capital investments, such as school buildings, and classroom physical assets, uh, stadiums, athletic fields, etc. There's also money that gets allocated to community colleges for specified purposes, and then to higher ed as well. So it, this is this is why it's called an enhancement fund. It's kind of over and above standard funding. The legislature has the discretion of allocating a certain amount of revenue received by the state to the fund, but. The lottery law says all net proceeds produced by the lottery in excess of $80 million a year go to that. Just, to, um, just for information, since the lottery has existed, that's averaged uh, about $40, $45 million a year. Now, the question of PERS, how could the lottery help PERS? Sure, again, like I said, the legislature could say, some or all of net proceeds of the lottery would be earmarked for PERS, just go to the PERS fund as opposed to the present situation, which is states, uh, roads and bridges, and the education enhancement fund. That would require amendment of law. I can assure you that would not be a popular move 
to the Department of Transportation and Transportation Commissioners who are generally lobbying for more money for roads and bridges because they hear from constituents that say, we need better roads and bridges. So that wouldn't be popular, I, I would argue. It also would be a drop in the bucket, honestly, when you consider that PERS is $19 billion, $20 billion unfunded, has unfunded liabilities, and is sitting at a 60% funding level. Simply means that if you look towards the future, money coming in from contributions, money co- money going out in terms of benefits, the program could cover 60% of its obligation for the long term. Not immediately, not next year, but for the long term. That's a red flag. Actuaries generally consider a plan is uh, is stable, a defined benefit plan, when it's at the 80% funding level. We're at 60%. So that's just that's one of the concerns that actuaries have noted in their analysis of Mississippi's public employees' retirement system. Uh, let's see here. I work for MDOT. Oh, here we go. On the ceasefire text line, this is Daniel in Boonville. What's maddening about this is you need to raise the contribution rate, which means possibly raising taxes all the while everywhere you look. Vast amounts of waste in government spending, welfare is taken advantage of, countless ridiculous studies that help no one on the federal side. But no, they'll raise my property taxes and car tax and sales tax and anything else they can get their hands on. They keep giving handouts to folks that are perfectly capable of working but choose not so they can sit on their porches and smoke prescription weed. That's mostly likely paid for by Medicaid. Um, I work for MDOT, by the way. We starved to death while we are working. only thing we have going for us is our retirement. So I, I think your analysis there, Daniel, might apply somewhat to federal spending but not state. Uh, an example would be uh, welfare, not a lot of welfare actually comes from the state. Medicaid would be the exception. You could certainly call that welfare, but most of that goes to the indigent elderly. These are people that are past their working age. Because Mississippi has not expanded Medicaid, so there are no benefits going to able-bodied adults. Another large chunk of that goes to children. Children don't work. Uh, another coverage group would be the disabled and the blind that are unable to work at the same level as an able-bodied adult. And then the final coverage group are pregnant women. Now, all of these have incomes that are quite low, some percentage of the federal poverty level. So I don't think really that's a a fair comparison. There Certainly, we could argue there's other other waste in government, and we could uh, dissect that extensively and then try to reach some sort of agreement, some sort of congruence on what to eliminate. But that still would not, I mean, it certainly would be something, but it would not address the 19 to 20 billion, billion of unfunded liabilities. It's just uh, defined benefit plans just by their very nature simply don't work. I mean, they're just flawed. Eventually, the actuarial math catches up with them. Look no further than Social Security. And I'll explain that when we come back. And that's exactly what's happening in PERS. So you want, one of the things you want to do, for example, in state government, when you think about 
cutting waste. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. But Jimmy Buffett bumping us out with one of his most famous tunes here. Comes Monday, or comes Monday, I should say. Coming right back in the Element Well Studio. And I just want you back by my side. I spent four days in a brown early haze, and I just want you back by my side. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. It was the right turn, my turn to have me ball. Boys at the shop told me just where to stop if I wanted to play for it all. But I didn't know I'd find her on daytime TV. My whole world lies waiting behind door number three. <laughs> That's awesome. Appreciate that, Rhino. Door number three. <laughs> There's a famous when I used to listen to the old Cheech and Chong. It was albums back in those days. May have been eight track tapes. And I I think it's them. They do a spoof on Let's Make a Deal. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, when you're selecting which door and they Often, the contestants, one, oh, wait, oh, let me think, two, wait, and they, and they really play that one up. One, no, two, no, three, no, two, no, one. Okay, two. And then it's, you know, the big, grandiose announcement. You just won a brand new, sparkling, clean, super slick Jaguar. <laughs> he says, oh, shoot, we already have a small car. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that made me think of that. That's really great. So on the ceasefire text line, we were talking about PERS, something we could talk about for hours. I'm in the process, like I said, of writing an article uh, about it uh, just to inform and share some opinion. What uh, Jim in the Delta says, Gerard, when they look at the unfunded liabilities in PERS, do they factor in the people who are currently drawing out of PERS who will die? Absolutely, Jim. So this is what actuarial science is all about, and it is a science. Actuaries, that's what they do. They assess financial risk in insurance and finance and pensions, and they use uh, mathematical and statistical models. And they apply probability, and and they just look at financial implications of future events. So one of the things that actuaries do is they look at the, just the, the pool, the universe of participants in a particular pension. In the insurance world, they would look at all those insured, for example. And they would consider just exactly what we were ta- you're talking about, Jim, is the life expectancies of those on the benefit payroll, the life expectancy of those who are actively contributing that will ultimately retire one day, how long would they live and thus draw benefits? And then they consider the folks paying in, 
and the amount they're paying in and how long they're going to be paying in. So all of that's used to project risk and to assess the uh, the health of, of a plan. And that's how they come up with these these red light statuses on these three major metrics. And uh, one of those is exactly what you're talking about. You you look at the amount coming in versus the amount projected to go out, and they say, yep, you only got enough to cover 60% long term. And to be considered healthy and stable, you need 80. I know I've said this before. I've used this example a lot. But I think it's a great way to explain the um, just the concept of a defined benefit plan versus a defined contribution plan. Those are the two major categories of pensions. In a defined contribution plan, let's talk about that one. That's the one that's, that's popular in the private sector, 401k plans. Most people are familiar with that. You contribute to that pre-tax out of your income. Your employer typically matches some up to some level of that, and that just gets set aside in a 401k account. You can track it, typically, whoever administers it on behalf of your employer. And then when you get ready to retire, you start drawing benefits out of that. Once you've drawn all the money out of that account, you're done. You may outlive it. In the case of a defined, that's a defined contribution plan. In the case of a defined benefit plan, that's what PERS is. It's what most public sector pensions are. It's what Social Security is. It's what Medicare is. So in the case of a defined benefit plan, once you start receiving benefits, you do so for life. It's really not limited to the amount you paid in plus any investment gains you incurred in the account. That's the way a 401k plan works. Once you've drawn all the money out, you ain't got no more. In a defined benefit plan, you get them too, you die. And again, one of the best ways to explain why that's a problem, ultimately, is just to look at the very first Social Security recipient, Ida Mae Fuller. She was born in 1874, a school teacher in Vermont, also a legal secretary. She's known because she was the very first beneficiary of Social Security payments, benefits. And she paid in $24.75 for three years. So when the, when the program was enacted into law, In 1935, it really didn't start paying benefits until 1939. She was the very first recipient. Actually, she applied in 39 and received her first check January 31st, 1940. However, she lived for a lot longer than they thought. She lived to be 100, and she drew out. $22,000, $22,000, even though she only paid in twenty four, And I think that does a great job of illustrating 
how that's a problem. It's not a problem as long as you've got an excess of people working, paying into the program to cover benefits going out. That's how defined benefit programs work. They're pay-as-you-go is what they are called. People are working. They're paying in. On the other end, people are retired. They're taking out. As long as you got more people paying in to cover benefits going out, you're in good shape. But back when Social Security was created, that ratio stood at about 100 to 1, meaning 100 workers to one retiree. Now it's 1.5 to 1. We're living longer, that's obvious. And we're not really growing the workforce substantially. PERS and other state retirement plans are suffering the same prob- the same problem. It's, it's just a, an excess of people retiring and drawing benefits out that rely on people working that participate in the plan paying in. And when those ratios get out of whack, it puts enormous financial pressure on the program. So let's think about government waste. I'm all for it as well. Let's eliminate duplicative expenses, unnecessary monies going out of the state treasury. But if you think about it, where does that typically occur? Payroll, workers, labor. Those are the huge costs in in government. Well, when you start paring down the roles of government workers, you're actually hurting PERS. You're putting more pressure on PERS. So think about plugging the hole in the dike. Okay, we got all this waste dripping out in the dike over here and all these unnecessary frivolous expenses. We're going to shut that down by letting a bunch of people go that are unnecessary and then another leak springs out of the dike because it's PERS. says, uh-oh, I don't have as much money coming in because you got rid of a bunch of employees. That's a real problem. And, it, and it's um, not an easy one to address. You want to cut the payroll. You want to cut the, um, the expenses going out of the general fund. But every time you let an employee go, that's less money going into the PERS fund to pay benefits to those who are retired. And that's the conundrum. That's the dilemma. Man, uh, where will your article article be published? It's going to take me about a week. I'm collecting a lot of information. This is B.W. and Jackson. It'll be on the Super Talk Mississippi News uh, website. Paula Meridian points out, no insurance pays for medical marijuana. Yeah, I know, Paul. I was just reading there on the text. Um, and, and Medicaid uh, doesn't it doesn't either. Uh, that's a whole other topic for discussion. But that's those are mutually exclusive with respect to the issue in PERS. I mean, the issue in PERS is is just a, it's a math problem. You got money coming in from workers. You got investment income from the portfolio of accumulated assets, and then you got benefits going out. And the issue with the cost of living adjustment, the so-called 13th check that Mayor Toby Barker was discussing, is an expense to PERS that really doesn't have a, a direct connected way of funding, method of funding. 
I get it. It's contractual, and like one of our listeners said, hey, I signed a contract. I expect that. I'm with you. We're coming right back with the final segment, Hour 2, in the Element Well Studio. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. There you go, that's Smash Mouth, a remake of the famous Monkeys tune from the 60s. I'm a believer. Is PERS the reason the state won't trim the number of in-state employees, says Thomas and Greenwood, so they'll be there to support the retirees' PERS payments? No, that's not why, Thomas. It's not why. It's, uh, I'm just pointing out that every time you do let an employee go, uh, in state government, you're losing their contributions in the purse. That's all I'm pointing out. But that's that's not involved in that. Um, you, of course, Thomas, would have a completely different idea on who should be eliminated, who should lose their job in state government uh, versus what the agencies would say and the legislature in turn. And I did say PERS got an 8%. It averages roughly that in returns last year, maybe a new investment manager to increase that up to 16 to 20. That's bull, Thomas, and you know it, man. It, it, nobody makes 16 to 20% sustained um, with an, uh, a major portfolio like that. You, and to do so, you would do, have to they take... They are working for a state. That's right. Uh, I can tell you that you know I have my money invested and managed by two very capable uh, wealth managers. One of them is Element Wealth that sponsors our studio here. They're pretty dang good at it. And uh, I mean, if you have an appetite for risk, sure. You can go make 15, 20%, and then the next year you lose 40. That's what happens. You try to time all that, no investment manager is going to say, oh, yeah, park your money here. 16, 20% guaranteed annual returns. Because you can't do that in fixed income securities. You'd have to do it with equities, which means you're picking stocks. The exact perfect timing, buying and selling. Day traders that do that are just lucky. Let's just be honest. How'd all those Bitcoin people do that were making money hand over fist? To the moon! Yeah. What Except happened? It's those, about half what it was at its height. Right. What happened to Sam Bankman Fried? I believe he's in jail. You see, he's squawking because he doesn't have high speed internet. <laughs> he's mad about it. Dude, you lost a lot of money for a lot of people. I guess we could hire Bernie Madoff. What do you mean, diversity and in investments, Thomas? Have you looked at the portfolio? I have. I have. You think you can produce 16 to 20%? Well, then go. Sell your services to PERS. You know how big that portfolio is? Are you capable of managing a $30 billion portfolio and producing 16% returns, 20% returns, even in the best of years? And you know when you have the best of years? 
after you've had a crash the year before because you get in when it's low. So I, I don't think it's fair, honestly, to be critical of the returns produced by a person. By the way, you can you can go look at uh, all the public pension systems in the country and what sort of returns they made uh, or they make historically. And, and PERS is right in there, uh, the Mississippi PERS, on par with them. Thomas says, I made 18% last year. What about the year before, Thomas, and the year before? So you got to look at this over like a decade, not one year. Sure. I had a year where Thomas in my personally managed portfolio, I made 100. And I guarantee it's bigger than yours by a lot. But you know what happened the next year? I lost 50. I'm screaming because it just ain't that easy, man. If it were that easy, a lot of other people would be doing because they get paid pretty good to do that. Red and Rizzlin chimed in on the ceasefire text line. 16 to 20% return sounds a lot like a Breaking Bad type situation. <laughs> so I, it's not fair to say, oh, yeah, I'll just hire you a new investment manager and that'll do it. Uh, if it were that easy, Thomas, I promise you, man, they would have already done that. So would every other pension system, public pension system in the country. Heck, it's so dang volatile, and you are limited on the allocation. And you're only going to do that if you're heavily invested in high-growth equity stocks. And with the Treasury bills ticking up because of inflation and uh, the Fed's rate-hiking action, you got yields on treasuries increasing, and you know what happens then? Money flows out of equities, especially growth equities, especially with inflation. And when and when that happens, your your prospects of producing significant double digit returns go down dramatically. I remember that Chris McDaniel's contemporary Mitch Tyner was pitching Bitcoin says Jeff in Forest County. A lot of people have pitched Bitcoin, let's be honest. A lot of people got in and out and made a whole bunch of money off of it. But it's, I would say, not a good long-term investment. It hasn't been. Let's put it that way. It might be. But over the long term, if you bought it and you're still on it, probably missed out on a huge opportunity. The afternoon portion of the program coming up after Fox News and Super Talk News. Stay with us. enough of you, baby. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour three of middays. We are live in the Element Wealth Studio. Don't forget, we got some tickets to give away to train later on in the program. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And speaking of, 
You've seen this plan that RFK Jr., you know, he's a candidate for president of these United States as a Democrat. He is proposing 3% mortgages. you seen this? 3% mortgages. Now, here's his plan. He wants the federal government to sell tax-free bonds. Tax-free bonds to support, to fund these 3% mortgages. He wants it to make to make it less profitable for large corporations who've been gobbling up homes in this country when they saw the pricing of homes <clears throat> soaring with rates down. They were getting in on that, buying them, all cash deals, turning them over because the demand exceeded the supply and they could make a quick buck. He wants to make it less profitable. He doesn't give any details of how to do that, how to achieve that. He says, quote, if you have a rich uncle who co-signs your mortgage, you will get a lower interest rate because the bank looks at his credit rating. I'm going to give everyone a rich uncle, and his name is Uncle Sam. Isn't he clever? This is what he said at a town hall in Spartanburg, South Carolina, not so long ago. He also said that the first 500,000 of those 3% mortgages would be reserved for teachers. Now, this is a a novel concept, no doubt. What do you think about that? The federal government is going to sell bonds to fund mortgages. And best I can tell, these would be mortgages owned by the United States, the taxpayers, essentially. This sounds like student loans to me. The only difference is, We're selling bonds specifically to fund, uh, essentially it's mortgage-backed securities to fund federal mortgages. This is a little different than FHA or those those various programs, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, who get involved in guarantee. This is actually money from the federal government. Federal government would have assets on its general ledger, on its balance sheet for these mortgages. This is interesting. Very interesting concept. I am hearing from folks in the housing industry, they're starting to feel a bit of a pinch, a bit of a slowdown. You've probably heard that because mortgages or mortgage rates are high. And that is um, pricing a lot of folks out of the market. And this is R.K. Jr.'s approach. Robert and Brandon says 16 to 20% returns is usually associated with scam pyramid schemes such as Lamar Adams. Not sure if the folks are familiar with Lamar Adams, but uh, that's a local individual that uh, had this group, Madison Timber Properties. It was, in fact, a Ponzi scheme. And he was charged with engaging in Ponzi scheme activity, and he built, uh, gosh, a lot of investors, hundreds, out of a whole bunch of money. 
multiple millions. So, yeah, and you, uh, who could forget Bernie Madoff? He's probably the most famous Ponzi scheme artist other than Ponzi himself. <laughs> uh, passed away in jail, I believe, right? Uh, Mr. Madoff did. I want to say that, was it his son that committed suicide? One of them? Something to that effect? After all that went down? But similar deal. And a whole bunch of people lost a lot of money in that deal. But it's it's not accurate to say you, you can't have a quick hit. Of course you can. And, and make a bunch of money uh, in markets and investing. But over a sustained period of time, which is the way a a pension has to operate, pretty much impossible, honestly. It's it's just volatile, ebbs and flows, and you're trying to second-guess all that. You're also limited. Typically, public pensions are in how they allocate their dollars in investments. You can't just dump them all in equities, which are highly risky. You've got to have some hedges in there with uh, some real estate holdings, which are considered very low risk, generally speaking. Even that's changed somewhat, commercial real estate, with the COVID stuff, and fixed income securities, corporate bonds, um, highly rated bonds, and then, of course, federal treasuries that aren't going to pay the same sort of return. that uh, They'll pay interest and dividends, but um, they're not going to pay the same sort of return that getting in and getting out of an equity, for example, would, if you can time it right, buy low, sell high. But, uh, again, for obvious reasons, because you're, you're investing money that, that is, belongs to the participants in the program who rely on that money being there when they retire. So you've got to be careful. And, and so what the mayor said was reducing the target from 7.5% to 7 and, and calling that acceptable m- means that you got less money coming in uh, on, the, you know, on investing the assets of PERS, thus less money available to pay benefits, which means you've got to cover that through contributions. I mean, those are the two sources of revenue to cover benefits, contributions from active members and, in, and return on investment from the portfolio accumulated through active members who who uh, contributed and are now retired, or active members that are still contributing. Uh, in either way, that investment portfolio produces interest dividends, income, used to cover benefits. Let's hope the rich uncles around America have more money than Uncle Sam because he's broke on the ceasefire tax line. Truer words have never been spoken. You know, we uh, we talked a couple of months ago. I started bringing to attention of our audience that uh, the deficit this year was on a run rate to come in at about $2 trillion dollars. That was at the time Biden was running around bragging about how much he cut the deficit. Have you noticed lately, Rhino, that he doesn't say much about that anymore in his speaking? It wasn't too long ago, I cut the deficit. You know, that creepy whisper deal that he was trying to really just uh, 
coax everybody into believing that he had some magic formula to, to reducing the nation's deficit. Well, he didn't. That's clear. So it's on a $2 trillion run rate this year. It will be more than that next year. He will leave office based on the current trend, producing the highest deficits on record and adding more to the debt than any other president on record. That's just a fact. Of course, the Democrats love to point to Donald Trump without really footnoting the fact that the majority of the deficit debt added under his watch all occurred during the COVID era, that one year, honestly, his final year in office of 2020, and every single Democrat in the Congress supported those measures, the CARES Act and the one before that, and all the bond buying that the Fed was doing, which just means doesn't really show up on the Treasury's income statement as a deficit, but it does add to the debt. So it's a balance sheet transaction, if that makes any sense. They just print money and go buy bonds and increase liquidity, which is what was happening during 2020. Well, that, too, gets added to the debt. But again, just doesn't show up in the deficit. But nonetheless, we got the government poised to run out of money again at the end of the month, and they're going to get together and talk about funding it. But as we pointed out, there won't be any discussion about, let's see, we got this much available. How are we going to spend that? Nope. That won't even get a mention on the floor of either chambers. Not a mention. They'll just figure out how much to spend, and this is how you end up with $32 trillion in debt, which is where we are. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Tickets to give away later on in the program. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi's own Jimmy Buffett. Enjoying his tunes all day in the wake of his tragic passing, 76 years old. How much do survivor benefits drag on purse, says B.W. and Jackson? Well, there um, you can't really call them a drag, right, B.W.? I haven't looked at all the various options, but when you choose an option that leaves benefits to survivors when you retire in purse. In doing so, you're you're electing a lower recurring benefit while you're alive. That's how it works. So it, it's all based on these actuarial formulas that that equates it. So it's like okay, you you could select. I think in Mississippi, I know in Louisiana, I'm much more familiar with that one because I was involved in that one a long time ago. And I, I'll dig into the various options that you could select a lump sum payment. 
And that's all designed uh, based on comparison to if you selected a monthly recurring payment, which is the same as if you selected one that left benefits to survivors. They're all based on achieving the same payout. So if you took a lump sum, that means that PERS doesn't have your money while it's paying you benefits on a recurring basis to invest and produce income. So it's all based on the what's called the time value of money. And there's present value, net present value analyses that figure out exactly what that would look like. So it's it's not that the design of the benefit programs is a problem except for the fact that there just ain't enough money coming in to cover it on a long-term basis. What the mayor was talking about earlier was the so-called 13th check, because that just really, when it was implemented, I don't know how much analysis went into, okay, in order to fund that, just a recurring year-after-year bumping and benefits on a compound basis for certain periods of time. Uh, how are we going to pay for that? Or can we be assured that the investment portfolio plus the amount being paid in by active workers can cover base benefits plus this recurring uh, cost of living raise, so-called 13th check, and all that's based on projection of how long folks are going to live to keep receiving those base benefits plus the 13th check. So that's how that works. Um, I have a very interesting story for you guys to check on. Terry's upholstery says, City of Aberdeen's felon ex-mayor uh, started a new business in Aberdeen, the gas station. He's actually selling marijuana legally. I don't know anything about that, Terry. You'd have to give us some more info. Um. Got you. Michael Lightsey, a realtor, says they keep talking reform, but they won't mention overhauling SLRP. That's the supplemental retirement plan for legislators. Michael, that's because it doesn't have the same financial problems that base PERS does. So the, the, the reforms that are being discussed are necessary to address the uh, – the funding problem with PERS. The SLRP is a really small program, and it's not in trouble to the extent base PERS is. That's the for the legislators, of course. Jason in Starkville says, Bet Thomas invested in DG. What's that? What's DG? Not sure what that is. Either Dollar General or Doge. Oh, yeah. Dogecoin. If you can time the markets, any brokerage house in America will hire you at $20 million a year. That's about right. I would agree with that. If you can produce perennial 16 to 20% returns, guarantee you, you could become a multimillionaire instantly. And that's with the absolute plethora, abundance all sorts of electronic tools and information that um, those managers use to administer those gigantic portfolios. No doubt about it. 
I'm surprised that John Dollar General hasn't built a store at the Burning Man Festival to help with the food and water situation. You know about that? The, oh, yeah. yeah it's crazy, gotten wild it? and wacky out there at Burning Man. Yeah, that is crazy. It's not the first time it's rained. It's probably the worst rain they've had in a long time. But when you get out in the the desert like that, it when it rains, it just makes a gumbo clay kind of nasty alkaline mud and the organizers have been less than forthcoming with details and information so you got a whole bunch of hippies just stuck in the desert and they they like to act like it's in the middle of nowhere it would be a hike because i mean there are there's evidence of mississippian diplo from tupelo he's a he's an artist him and Chris Rock hiked out six miles, hitchhiked, and Diplo was doing a show in D.C. three hours later. So you can get out. You just can't get your rental RV out. You, you can't <laughs> drive your vehicle out unless it's got four-wheel drive. But even then, you had some people, I can't wrap my head around why, trying to stop people from getting out when they had cars that were capable to the point where there's video of one crazy hippie almost getting run over by an RV. It's just bizarre. Uh, I hear you. Uh, United Airlines, breaking news, issues nationwide ground stop. Wow. I'm looking at the FlightAware misery map, and it's uh, all the airports that, the big airports that United Airlines serves, the misery map chart. Wow. Don't know what's going on. No info. Mike in Corinth says government needs to stay out of it and give the market time to correct on its own. I think he's talking about RFK Jr.'s proposal to offer 3% mortgages that would be backed by the sale of federal bonds. Yeah, I actually agree with you there, Mike. I will say this. I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with the state if it became a huge problem. I'm talking about mortgage rates to the point where the housing industry just shuddered totally, and that caused serious economic harm. Wouldn't have a problem with states perhaps getting involved. I can tell you that when I got my first mortgage in 1981, and that was, you check it out, that was at the height of the um, – the rise in mortgage rates when Fed Chairman Volcker was trying to run off that rampant inflation that we experienced in the Carter era. Folks around that time, my age, remember those double-digit mortgages. I want to say the standard mortgage was 16 17% back then. And I stood in line all night to get so-called bond money is what they called it. And it's the state of Louisiana, by the way, which was flush with cash from the oil and gas industry, had sold bonds to back mortgages at a lower rate. My rate that I stood in line for, 10 and three quarters. And I had to be a first-time home buyer, which I was, and had to have a household income of less than $30,000. And with my wife and I working, we easily were under $30,000 at the time. So uh, that was their approach, because houses weren't moving at all, and the construction industry 
of, of a homes was just at a standstill. It is a big problem nationwide. I wouldn't be for that for the federal government, but the state did that. It's a pretty good program. Worked out pretty well. But that was 10 and 3 quarters back then, which is crazy. It just feels like it's not a great idea simply because well, it comes back to the argument of what's the role of government totally in a free agree. market. Because while I get the the idea that the, the market will bear it out, it's supply and demand in, in the simplest terms. I mean, it's kind of oversimplifying, but we haven't been building as many houses as we have historically. And you've seen the prices, the cost of housing just go up and up. They always appreciate. You have very little depreciation in housing, and when you do, they tend to be houses nobody wants. I agree. That's right. And so I I hear you. It's, it always is. What's the role of government? I, You know, I simply point out that at that particular sliver of point in time, given the state of Louisiana's balance sheet and, uh, and the stipulations they were putting on qualifications for that, wasn't that bad of an idea at the time. The, the alternative, I think, was much worse in terms of the economic impact of just the total shutdown of that industry. But Louisiana was a bit of an outlier because, like I said, it was so flush from oil and gas revenue at the time or taxes thereof. Also, aren't the managers of public pension funds limited on the risk they're allowed to take? Robert Brandon asked. They are. Uh, there's some limits on what they can invest, how their portfolio is allocated. Coming right back with half an hour. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. With you in the Element Wealth Studio, go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Enjoying the pleasant music of Jimmy Buffett all day. Appreciate that, Rhino. Liz Warren says, the president is fighting every day to lower costs for families under his leadership. We've lowered the price of insulin for seniors to $35 a month and prescription drug costs, and we're cracking down on junk fees, all while Republicans just fight for tax cuts for giant corporations. She's uh, really not very smart. No. Uh, The only thing the president's fighting for every day is to remember where he is. (laughs) This was, uh, that was her words on the lead with Jake Tapper. He, too, an economic <laughs> genius. Oh, gosh. Hey, why do they worry about taxes on corporations, taxes on anybody? Because, again, I say, it's not like they need more revenue so they can spend more. They spend it without the revenue. Hence the $2 trillion of deficits. It, it does call into question, why do we have any taxes? You just print the money. You deficit spend. 
You're not guided or limited or constricted by the revenue. That's just a ruse. But it's um, it's popular. It's popular rhetoric, regrettably. Robert Reich yesterday created a... Uh, he has, always has these little clever animated cartoonish type videos, and it's about just praising labor unions and all their accomplishments. And it goes through the chronology of unions and certain wins they achieved. I I get it. And there was a time when there's no doubt unions, I believe, served a valuable purpose. Not so much in my view anymore. By the way, the UAW is about to go on strike. They're mad, and they're looking for, what, like a 46% pay increase, something insane. You think your cars are expensive now? Just wait till they get that. And did I see something like they want eight hours a week off? Just pick pick your time. Pick eight hours. Something crazy like that. But looking at the comments, this is where I'm always fascinated and intrigued to Mr. Wright's posts. Uh, Governor DeSantis has made laws which will dismantle our teachers' unions in Florida, requiring 60% membership and disallowing us to have our dues automatically taken out of our paycheck, making it nearly impossible for our union to survive. Help! We Florida teachers work hard and have some of the lowest salaries in the nation. Well, then don't be a teacher. Problem solved. And you know what would happen if you're not a teacher and they start flocking out? Well, then they have to make changes to attract people into the profession. That's the market working. Unbelievable. Just uh, unions make America a better place for all. Make America union strong. Remember the GOP hates unions. Jeez. Nurses need unions in every state. I never got more than a 2% pay raise unless I was promoted. Then don't be a nurse. Jeez. The swinging pendulum has swung much too far in favor of the corporate pig farm and their stockholders. It is time to take back our rights to get paid a decent wage for an honest day's work. Still $10 million job openings out there. The job market has stabilized somewhat. And what's incredible is how the president goes up and boasts about jobs, jobs, jobs all the time. See, here's the thing. All people are focused on right now, and their their primary measurement of the economy and and just their overall sentiments about economic conditions is inflation. They look at the price of gas. They look at the price when they check out the grocery store, et cetera. That's how people gauge the performance of a president with respect to the economy. And that's what they're looking at. They're looking at inflation and not jobs because you messed stuff up so bad during COVID that we're still struggling to return to that that just level of stability 
and uh, in the job markets. I mean, it's better and it's improving, but still, though, there there are more jobs available than there are workers to fill them. Still, have a lot of people on the sidelines, and we haven't we haven't reached that equilibrium that we need. And so people aren't focused on that. They're focused on inflation. And this idea that AOC and others promote that it's just corporate greed is behind inflation. Record corporate profits. Well, that's what corporations do. They exist to make a profit. And guess what? You don't produce a profit, you don't attract capital. No capital, no growth, no expansion, no jobs, no innovation, no improvements to society. It's real simple. It's not that hard. They don't get that. Everything always starts with all those corporations, they just woke up one day and they were just flush with money. All those billionaires, they just had a bunch of money. And we get into all this discussion about taxes, and they never really take into consideration that half the country of taxpayers pay 2.5% of the total tax load. And the top... 50% 50% of taxpayers shoulder 97.5, and they consider that unfair. Unfair to the 2.5%. That just blows me away. On Also on Reich's post, I'm waiting for all the crazy Republicans to come telling us why labor laws are bad and billionaires are always right. What are they talking about? The so-called billionaires that are behind these companies that are looking for workers, they've significantly adjusted pay upward to attract workers and benefits. That's how the market works. And you know what? Then they pass it on us at the grocery store and uh, elsewhere where we spend our money. Just incredible. I thought Trump got the insulin deal done. No. Day from Ripley says, and I, and again, this is just. Well, he did, and then Biden did away with it on day one with an EO and brought it back and takes credit for it. It wasn't quite to this level, but oh, this just simply means okay, we're going to dictate to you what you're going to charge for insulin, and then so again, they're they're for profit corporations. They'll find some some other place to make the money, but. It also means they're less willing to invest in in groundbreaking treatments and therapies because they can't make any money off of it. The government says, nope, can't make any money off that, so we're just going to miss out on, potentially, a drug that could save your life, improve the quality of your life. That's what those guys do. They seem to forget that. You've taken away the incentive for innovation rather than promoting it and creating an environment that serves as a catalyst for it. Let's see. Uh, Paula Meridian says, I believe my mortgage rate is at 1.25%. Wow. I didn't know it ever got that low. That's incredible. That is uh, surprising. What's this AI stuff on Facebook and Internet investment? Well, yeah, no doubt that AI, artificial intelligence, is a... uh, Huge opportunity and considered by most investment analysts to have lots of legs and a huge future and expected to be really transformational 
but Facebook is doing away with it, at least in part, when it comes to what shows up on your Facebook feed. Oh, I see. And that's in response to laws passed in the European Union basically outlawing the training of an AI with your information. That is correct, which is pretty core to the Facebook system, honestly, because that's how they produce revenue. I mean, it's just how that works. You know, if you, you've probably seen that. You go click on something because you have an interest in it that you see in Facebook. You don't even have to click on it. Yeah, just, just, just mention it somewhere right. near the phone. That's true. Uh, or even uh, react to it, right, um, with with a like or... Even if you're scrolling and you slow, slow down, down a little right. bit, it's like, oh, oh, they're paying attention to that one. Send them more of that. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that because you know what? It keeps it free. That's the That's the... I guess the miracle of the model, if you will. We're coming right back with Jimmy Buffett once again bumping us out here. we got a final segment coming up with some tickets to give away to train coming to the Brandon Amphitheater in a couple of days. Stay with us. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. I've just closed my eyes again. Climbed aboard the dream weaver train Trying to take away my worries out today I forgot. Passed away too. Gary Wright. Dream weaver. I'm so old I remember seeing him perform that live on American Bandstand. I think the YouTube videos out there. He's sitting at the uh, the keyboards. I'm a uh, I'm also a big Dave Mason fan. You know Dave Mason, the musical artist. When I was in middle school, high school, he was probably my favorite. And he, uh, I follow him on social media, and he wrote something up about. Gary Wright and some work they had done together. It's pretty neat. Pretty cool to learn about that. All right, so uh, we've been talking about uh, PERS and uh, defined benefit plans. And what were you telling me before we went off? Um, you were telling me something that had me interested before we, right when we were on the break there, before we came back. Can't remember oh, what the was. Uh, UAW demands. You were right. That's they right. do want a 46% pay increase. They do want to work 32 hours for a 40-hour work week's worth of pay, <laughs> which wouldn't that be a pay increase? Uh, and they want to bring back pensions. Defined benefit plan pensions, which the, the all the automakers had until they said, yeah, yeah, these things aren't sustainable. And they funded out of them, and they converted everybody to a defined contribution plan, which is like a typical 401K, which you could do that. That's an option we could do for PERS. problem is how far back do you go as far as current members in the system to say, okay, all of you guys, you're in the old defined benefit plan. All of you before, you're in the defined 
contribution plan. And when you do that, the state would have to come up with a huge chunk of money to fund all the future benefits since the people below a certain age would now be contributing to the new plant. Does that does that make sense, what I'm saying there? Yeah. And that's how those private companies did it, by the way, such as GM, Ford, all those guys. They just had a huge write-off, AT&T. Give some tickets away. Oh, yeah. Grammy Award-winning and platinum-selling band Train are going to be at the Brandon Amphitheater in Brandon on September 7th. That's this Thursday. Tickets for the show are obviously on sale now at the Brandon Amphitheater box office, or you can go to Ticketmaster.com to get them. But now is your chance, what probably your last chance, to win a pair of tickets to see Train. All you got to do is be the 21st person to text into the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. Be the 21st person to text in the phrase, Virginia. And you'll win a pair of tickets to see Train this Thursday at the Brandon Amphitheater in Brandon. There you go. Train. All right. So uh, let's see. Also on the – oh, Mo says, I saw him. I guess he's talking about Gary Wright and Peter Frampton in Jackson. Wow. That's cool, Moe's. Uh, maybe that music – Rock and Roll Museum was somewhere else from the Delta that you guys broadcast from. I can't remember. I thought it was Clarksdale. I don't think we did that. Um, we broadcast from Cleveland in the Delta. At, yeah, Grammy Museum, Mississippi. Yeah. So, no doubt. Pretty cool. Follow the Dave Ramsey plan and all will be good. I have 11% return for 30 years. That's interesting because Dave pretty much recommends that you invest in the way you allocate your portfolios in mutual funds. And it's pretty hard to get 11% over 30 years in mutual funds and, and some growth stocks, which are typically technology stocks. That's where usually you see that. All I know about Dave Ramsey's envelopes. Yeah, the old envelopes. Let's see. What are you saying here, Thomas? What we need to do next year instead of expansion of Medicaid when we have four years for people to get over it before going to the polls again? Well, uh, no doubt. We have a winner, I think. So no doubt um, PERS is going to be a topic of discussion, I believe, in the legislature. Medicaid expansion will uh, as well. Honestly, I don't know if that has a chance of getting through. Uh, the legislature, I do know that there are more reports coming from hospitals across the state that are certainly struggling. That's being reported quite a bit. Greenwood LaFleur specifically, their mayor says, without Medicaid expansion, the hospital's on the chopping block. I, I'm going to say again, I highly recommend to the hospital community that advocates for Medicaid expansion to develop some pro forma financial statements showing the, the present or the most recent year or, or three years of operations and then insert into that what that would look like if Medicaid had been expanded. Because I'm not convinced that, okay, well, if we just did that, that would resolve all the problems. I want to see some financial data to support that, that theory because that's what it is, a theory, and I just haven't seen that. I highly recommend that. We're out of here today. Appreciate you joining us. Back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone.
Mississippi Media Production.